With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are YWales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, YWales, wherever you guys are in the world. So it is, uh, we're currently in June. Uh, crypto overall is taking its summer break as it always does. That doesn't mean that, that you know, we're all kind of hitting the pause button, but quite simply development is ramping up as the market has kind of taken a little bit of a cooling off period. Uh, some people are calling it a bear market. Um, you know, I don't know. I think we still have to wait a few months to see where that really ends up, but, but clearly it's kind of mirroring, I'd say, the overall world's economy. Uh, but that doesn't mean, again, that, that the developer and the people behind the scenes have in any way slowed down. In fact, it's ramped up development. Uh, so today I have uh, Diggles and, and Ben, and I appreciate uh, uh, Benjamin allowing me to use, use his name there, uh, from Constellation Network. And, and really want to dig, dig into what these guys are working on because it's not a singular project. There's so much going on. Um, but, but really, let's go ahead and turn it over to you guys. And, and Ben, would you like to start a little bit with like, your background and where you come from and uh, you know, really everything prior to, to Constellation launching? Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, how did they start in David Copperfield? Is this is how, how we begin? I was born here. I don't know. Uh, literary reference there. Uh, <laughs> I'm Ben Jorgensen. I'm the, I'm the CEO of Constellation. Um, I like to read. Uh, no, uh, but yeah, before Constellation, I was kind of always in this entrepreneurial mindset, um, emerging technologies. Uh, back when I was like in uh, college, I was creating an online video platform where we marketed original content. Um, I've been in digital advertising. I've been uh, involved in building out restaurant groups. Um, and right before Constellation, which kind of hit me over the head on, on Web3, was I consulted with uh, Fortune 500 companies through an organization called Exponential Organizations, uh, a famous book that I think probably many of your listeners have actually read, uh, where we actually went in and advised um, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies on uh, disruptive technologies uh, back in 2015. And that's really how I got into the Web3, was we're educating people on blockchain, uh, but there was no action that came out of it. And so I wanted to be on the front lines of actually building something uh, that really mattered to people. Awesome. Awesome. What was that? What was kind of that, that moment that, that you said, this is where I want to spend all my time? Yeah, I think one of my co-founders. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, well, first I'll back up when many, many times when you're like in an entrepreneur, you want to know like uh, a feedback of if you're a good entrepreneur, you're a good leader, are you a good investor? Do you have good deal flow? Um, all these things that you don't really get a, a feedback from when you run a company. Uh, and so the best way to do that is tell people you're going to give them money for their project and their idea. And that gives you so much insight and learnings uh, that I was actually looking for like good leaders, good entrepreneurs to be with, uh, which made me kind of fall into constellation. Uh, and when I learned, uh, when I talked with one of my founders about all the gaps that existed with in Ethereum and how it's never going to scale into the way that they envision it with real developers building, querying data between centralized systems and decentralized systems. Like it really hit me that there was a huge opportunity in this space, but it was a massive, massive restructuring of the internet and the entire blockchain industry. Uh, and that's where I was like, man, this is, if this works, this is going to be powerful that's going to give like so much purpose and direction. And uh, so that's really kind of how I, I fell into it. And I actually think Diggles has a similar, <laughs> similar story because we met uh, when Diggles was at Oracle. Oh, wow. Okay. So you do come from the, from the Oracle world. And I always have said, you know, web three is finally the excuse to get rid of that, rid of that Oracle eight server that, that your company has been running for the last, you know, 20 years. Hey, it provides heat still, so don't throw it away just yet, right? Uh, you never know where the economy may go, so we might need those as heaters in the future. So I, 
yeah, I do come from Oracle. I've been in technology for, gosh, almost 24, 25 years now. I know I look like I'm 22, so that doesn't make sense. But I have been in tech for a long time and, and mostly around enterprise tech, much like Mr. Jorgensen. Um, most of my career has been working with Fortune 500 companies while also participating in some really cool startup um, environments. Um, and the big thing that I would say around all these different activities, data was always at the forefront of what I was interested in, um, largely because I saw it as like a form of frozen communication that had this weird value. And um, one of the companies I worked for, and I don't mind throwing them under the bus since they were acquired by Oracle, which I was very thankful to play a role in, was WebTrends, um, which was who uh, founded the digital analytics industry back in 1993 with log file analysis. And with that, I realized like, wow, everybody's creating like digital you know, fingerprints on stuff, whatever they touch, right? Of course, we started with the kind of just browsers and, and websites, but then when the splinter net happened with mobile phones and all that sort of stuff, it just became this like power grab, like a whole new 21st century gold rush around data, right? Um, and it, it kind of, you know, I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, so I have a little bit of the altruistic stick it to the man kind of vibe in me, right? And so... I saw how many people were being taken advantage of with data, right? And when I was at Oracle, you know, Jorgensen and I met because he was at the company that he uh, had founded and ended up um, you know, later getting an acquisition from that company. And so um, I was telling him about this project I was interested about kind of rebalancing data ownership back to, to people and kind of removing that kind of middleman. He's like, bro, you need to get into blockchain. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to get into that. Everybody's the star of their own movie with that stuff. Right. And he's like, no, let's do this. Right. And so, um, you know, Jorgensen really sold me on this stuff. And my big goal in this was to say, is, is there really a, a true thing here? Or is this just some vapid, you know, magic vaporware that everybody's talking about that's some Ponzi scheme? So that's largely what drew me into this industry. I, I love that. And there was, you know, listen, there's a lot of us closet libertarians around here that like we don't really know. We didn't know that that was our political affiliation until you start to kind of like dive in and you're like, oh, I, I think the way all you guys do. Like, and it right. really is, you know, putting the, putting the power back in, into the hands of the people. You know, there was a number of really good, there's been so many great speeches about this and, and so many great, uh, you know, in-depth ideas of like distributed data and, you know, web one versus web two and, and what we're going to eventually see with web three, which is the difference of, you know, read, which was, you know, web one, you know, just, you can, you can <laughs> consume data. Um, I love your, your analogy of splinternet of, of web two, which is really, I've never heard that one before, but it's true. It just suddenly everything went all over the place because now anyone could write you. There was mm -hmm. no longer this, this filtered amount of data. And here's, you know, the, the 1970s, um, um, you know, there's six six different networks of which are owned by two different people, and you're going to listen to what they have to say. Um, to now Web three, which is allowing ownership to that voice. Um, so instead of allowing you know third party platforms to to say, well, we'll broadcast that for you, but we're going to take the revenue, you can now easily build your own you know studio and do and oh, not easily, it's coming soon, and I know you guys talk about that in here in a second. But the idea of owning your own personality and your own voice is you know really non-existent in Web2 in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I feel bad for folks coming into this because it's always like t people are talking Greek. All these new terms are like, I didn't know there was a Web1 or a Web2, right? And so we often educate people around a very popular concept that Web2 is the attention economy where everything's focused on engagement, impressions, click-throughs, eyeballs, time on site, these very powerful metrics that coming from the web analytics company uh, industry were paramount, right? Like this is where everything's going. And there's a fundamental problem with that. There's only so many humans and so much time and so many things to look at that it's sort of becoming a broken model. And as we shift into Web3, as you're talking about here in this you know, ownership of value, the term is the stakeholder economy. Like, all right, how do you actually bring your end customer into your value chain so that they're incentivized and rewarded to be able to participate in your product or service? And why this is such a big threat to the Web2 world World is because once people get used to it, they're not going to do things unless they're part of it, right? It's going to be like, wait a minute, I could either use this brand and get rewards, or I can use this brand and not. And it's going to be a pretty easy decision, right? Yeah, I mean, there's clearly, I mean, the world is about to change. 
and you know, in, in a big way for a variety of reasons. And it's not a monetary one. It's it's not a you know, uh, you know, who reads what or who's producing the data. It quite simply, like it's, it, and I hate to say it this way, it's just the evaporation of nation states. Like when the globe has, there's no more friction in between, you know, this country versus that country. It's just people talking together. And, and, and quarantine actually really opened that up for a lot of us because if we're all stuck at home, then regional doesn't mean anything. There's no driving to a concert if I can attend a concert in the metaverse. If I, if I want to have, you know, a, a conference with, with intellectuals around the world, it, it's, it's the cost of a Zoom call, which is, you know, a monthly membership of which most of us have. So, mm-hmm. so the ideas around like, the way the world's going to change over the next decade. And, and to be clear, we're a long ways away from this being, you know, mainstream. We're, we're clear in the early days and there's a lot of volatilities of this asset class. But, but the way you guys are talking is clearly, you know, how do we educate and how do we prepare for that mass adoption? Yeah, I think there's... You want to take that one, Ben? Yeah, I mean, um, so we're actually seeing mass adoption happening. And I, I love to look at how if, you know, doing this for the past like six years, uh, we've been able to see that this started out as a hyper intellectual movement. And that detracted a lot of people that look at things as as very binary problem solution. Blockchain doesn't solve a problem, but it is a hyper intellectual movement that attracts deep intellectual thinkers engineers, developers, entrepreneurs looking to solve problems. Uh, And now we're getting into this era where you watch an NBA game and you see, you watch the NBA finals, you're going to see crypto.com. You're going to see uh, Coinbase. You're going to see FTX, like all of these crypto exchanges dumping hundreds of millions of dollars into marketing to get you to buy these tokens. Uh, so we're starting to see the mass adoption. Is it the adoption that we thought around the technological movement? Well, I would actually say, yeah. Um, developers uh, are flocking to the internet 100% month over month um, uh, movement of developers coming into the Web3 world. They see that there's an economic component. There, there is an intellectual problem to solve. There's more purpose behind it. Uh, there's more you can do. Uh, so when people are saying like, oh, it's not at mass adoption, it's like you need to start looking where developers are going uh, because they're going to drive where consumers go then because they're going to build the, the tools that consumers in, engage with. Um, so I, I think we're at a very interesting onset of how we define ownership. I actually get sweaty palms when I hear that term. Uh, because it's the same thing. Like I own a piece of constellation when ownership is like, we're going through like, what does ownership mean? Do I need to have an equitable stake in constellation to orchestrate or prioritize the outcome of development or marketability of the platform? No, I need to have this cryptocurrency participate in the platform, have a voice through marketing governance, uh, that's really shifting the a socioeconomic movement. That was, a, that was a really, really good um, kind of compressing all that down for a lot of people to listen to. So anyone that was kind of, is kind of wondering how developers in the space think, I, I think that Ben just gave a really good oversight into kind of, there's a lot going on, but they have a, there's a clear vision. Like you can see it. You guys know exactly where you're going. It's just the preparing for that tsunami um, because that's where you want, you want to be able to funnel the energy into the correct ways and not have, you know, lose 80% of the people off into the Doge Shibu world of which they have no idea, but they're being told that this is a proper investment. And though, and that's, that's one of the biggest challenges that, that real teams like you guys face. And I'm not knocking Doge or, or Sheep. I, you know, they they serve their own purpose, which is, which is memes. And they do a great job of that. Um, <laughs> But but there's actual real world problems that can be solved with blockchain and and very effectively uh, over and above anything that Web two can offer. Diggles. Yeah, yeah, I would love to add to it because um, you know uh, John Oliver had like this bit back in twenty thousand or two thousand nineteen. I think it was uh, when he did the the piece on blockchain and crypto. Blockchain is everything you don't understand about computers and everything you don't understand about finance on crypto combined. And um, I thought that was so apropos because um, the real thing around mass adoption is the requirement of education right now. And it's much different when we think about Web 2 to Web 3. Web 2 was, hey, we're going to give you this free product or service that has so much value in it that you're going to take the time to figure it out. You're going because at the other side, 
you now have something that you can utilize within your workflow at no cost while we mine your data in exchange, which is totally fine, right? Um, but that was the incentive. That was the carrot. Now we have to do things that are really around earn and learn, like the stuff we see with Coinbase, right? How do you incentivize people to learn these new tools? Because it is a shift in discipline. It's not around, hey, you now have this thing that takes care of a task, but now becomes part of your workflow. Because we often say that Web2 is folks plugging into the internet, kind of like you land on Facebook and you click their accept cookies or whatever their terms. And next thing you know, you just you know agreed to a 130-page document, where in this, the internet is going to plug into the individual, which means they have to understand how to manage their own world, which is very intimidating. But there's a whole abundant world that comes with that. And so we're seeing that the best projects and the best um, adoption is really coming through very calculated and focused education. I, I love that. Well, let's take a second and let's dive into to Constellation Network because you know we 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 kind of clearly you guys are engaged in the space. You've been in the space for a while. Um, who who wants to give the the elevator pitch for Constellation? I think Ben should do it. All right, Ben, let's hear it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Constellation is um, we're solving the problems of scalability in blockchain technology. More specifically, uh, Constellation is a vertically integrated ecosystem that provides uh, tools to traditional businesses to add token economies. So Constellation built its own network from scratch. We have our own wallet. Uh, We have our own user interface and DeFi platform. And we just launched our own consumer-facing hardware uh, mining product. Um, And so we consider ourselves very the only one in the space, very unique in that we have kind of multi-tier solutions that meet different consumers in the crypto space. Run run through those different solutions. I know there's a bunch, but just give a a quick overview of some of the use cases. Yeah, so one of the use cases, um, so at the very top of the funnel, that consumer hardware product is called the data mining uh, device. And the data mining hardware uh, sticks above your doorway entry, and it collects foot traffic data. Well, for the average person, that doesn't really have an impact on their day-to-day life, like, say, a uh, Fitbit watch that gives you kind of an idea of how many steps you've taken. Um, However, those analytics are very useful for Google and for um, other businesses to understand who is in existence in the area. Uh, so we collect that. We provide. We actually built a, a piece of hardware that sticks above a doorway, and for the data that you collect, you actually get rewards uh, in the form of our currency called DAG. Uh, so they don't really need to know where they're getting the uh, who's buying that data. They just need to comply and say, "Hey, you can use my data, and I'm going to get a, a bounty or incentive for this." Um, and so our ecosystem and our network actually provides for a lot of room for a lot of these use cases. Uh, We're putting genomic data on the blockchain and giving people reward uh, in crypto for giving their genomic data. Think of if you gave your data to 23andMe and they gave you some sort of payment. Uh, We're facilitating that and providing the infrastructure layer to support that. Uh, We are working with a company called Alchemy uh, that's putting digital advertising on the blockchain, which brings in the consumer into the dynamic of advertising exchange. So now the consumer can get rewarded for seeing an ad or not seeing an ad. We're looking at disrupting the creator economy with a company called GeoJam, um, all of which uh, are coming onto our platform using our network, which is zero transaction fees, uh, to build a completely new business in this Web3 context. So I'd like to point out a few few things for the listeners. Is Every single thing that Ben just, just listed off is an actual real-world use case for blockchain. That we're actually trying to bridge the gaps between traditional web one and web two companies today. That these, there's, there's nothing that he just, there's no magic fairy here that just appeared and he's, <laughs> he's coming up with, you know, this, you, you buy this, this profile picture and, and you're settling to become a millionaire just because you own it. Like there's real world use cases for businesses that exist today that are already utilizing the web one and one two versions of this technology, correct? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It's and uh, apologies. Sometimes I get like into hyperspeed on talking this because there's like a breadth of things that we do. But um, you know, when we looked at that's, the, my, that's my job. That's my job. So yeah, totally. <laughs> you caught me. But and you know what we look at is like how do you how are the what are the benefits of Web three that can change traditional Web two? So when you think about the door traffic miner, the data uh, mining device that we sell, we actually minted an NFT. Uh, so we sold an NFT to the user where they could register the NFT before they actually get the hardware device and start earning crypto for giving us their, their information. And then once the hardware is ready to be shipped, uh, they redeem the, the NFT like a voucher and they install it. They report that it's installed and they start earning more rewards. Um, so I think this is so using crypto, we've not only improved the supply chain management and distribution method, uh, but we've also increased our ability to create a, a massive data footprint going out to the crypto audience and offering incentives instantly sold two million dollars worth of devices in a matter of weeks. Um, this is like you can't do that in traditional uh, Web2, uh, but having that crypto component really kind of amplifies uh, your almost your sales model. Yeah, and 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 again, you guys don't know any of my background, but I I come from big retail. That was that was oh, wow. one of my uh, that was my family business, and so yeah, so there's no retailer that exists today that's that's still in business that does not have a door counter, and yeah. that door counter has to have various metrics. Um, and and I'd, you know, I'd love to dive into the details of how, what yours is tracking and whatnot. But the reality is, the this is already a multi billion dollar industry, which is traffic tracking traffic inside and out. Um, but but the issues that you run into with these devices is the API. APIs generally suck. You, if you buy brand X, you're stuck with brand X's software and what they can do. And, and you may have a CRM or ERP you'd like to use. Nope, you're not. You, you may or may not get access to what it is. Um, I'm going to assume that you guys are doing the true, you know, DeFi DGen thing, which is it's your data. Do what you want with it. Yes. Exactly. So when people install the actual device, they'll get a choice if they want to give us data or not. Right. Uh, and then we have a choice of brokering that that data. Is this good data? Is it quality? Did you follow all the steps? Did you comply with the metadata framework that we suggested? Um, and then we broker that behind the scenes and give full transparency. You can opt in and out of it at any time. Uh, and that's the shift that, you know, we're looking at people counters or foot traffic counters. But think if you could do that for every device, if you could activate your Fitbit watch and get a reward for giving uh, your, your API keys over to them for your Fitbit. Do you not think that maybe you'd sell exponentially amount more devices by activating a crypto component? And then I think there's an ancillary support. It's not just about the bounty. It's what you can do with that. And to Diggles's point, um, the cryptocurrency and the stakeholder economy is allowing people to have a say in the outcome of the business, allow them to participate in how the business unfolds, moves forward, prioritizes development efforts, prioritizes marketing. Uh, and that becomes a marketing channel for the, for a company. No longer is it a one-way customer service like, I hate this product, fix it, fix it. You actually get a voice and that voice has some sort of monetary potential. No, I, I love that. So let's let's take a quick step and let's go back about thirty thousand feet, <clears throat> and let's just talk about let's let's talk about your network. You guys are running your own mainnet. Um, uh, Diggles, can you run through kind of the specs of you know proof of work, proof of stake? You know what's what's it based on? Was it was it a build from scratch or did you uh, um, kind of splinter off from from an existing design? Yeah, yeah. It's often one of our most frustrating questions because we'll be on a call for a good 20 minutes and then they'll say, so so who are you built on top of? And we have to remind like, no, we're our own custom blend, right? Um, that said, we aren't um, unique in the market because we decided to go with a directed acyclic graph approach, which if to get a little bit nerdy, um, that's where the DAG uh, cryptocurrency token name comes from is a harken to our directed acyclic graph. We believe and we know that a graph approach, really, when you think about edge computing and hitting some of those big data standards is a requirement, linear uh, blockchains simply just won't work. Um, so we really were impressed with what IOTA had came out with. But really, at the beginning, we saw 
some of their limitations and decide to refactor and come up with an entirely one of a kind solution. And that's our, um, you know, head of technology. Wyatt is the guy who wrote that white paper um, and developed the technology, which is really great. Um, but with it, we had to create, we realized there was also limitations in consensus models, right? Uh, proof of work and proof of stake, as we all know, have massive limitations, even though they've proven some really amazing use cases to date, the, the ceiling was hit rather quickly, right? When it comes to the commercial sector. Um, um, so we developed um, a consensus algorithm out of the box called proof of reputable observation, um, which we know is a mouthful, but really that is, if you want to make it um, very simple, it's machine learning at the edge, right? How do you observe other nodes to see what their reputation is? And that means that we want to take in as much data as possible, including bad data. The more data, the better, because it actually makes the, the network go faster. Um, but while we have a consensus algorithm that governs the state of the entire public network, any company that builds an application on top of us, those come in the form of what we call state channels. But that really is a decentralized application that fits on top of our core network, and that runs its own consensus on that state channel as well. So they're able to asynchronously balance their uh, governance of their network while also the um, entire network at the exact same time of our core network. Um, so the more that comes onto our network, it's brilliant, the faster it becomes. And when we talk about some of the use cases that Ben had talked about, the door traffic miner and ads and, and DNA data, which is a great one, um, these are large data sets. If you think about throwing something this at like an Ethereum, that thing's done in a hot minute. Right. Whereas with this, this is why we're attracting these types and these caliber of projects from the existing world is because they're like, hey, wait, tell us when you are your prime time ready, Ethereum, and we'll jump in. We're looking for a solution that can meet where we're at now, but even take it to an extent where we're fractionalizing that data even further. And so that's why our and we call our network the hypergraph transfer protocol, so HGTP. So we really think that at some point it will be a commodity in a lot of ways that the modern internet is that nobody really says HTTP anymore when they're talking about a URL, right? But that's the backbone of what allows that communication protocol to work. With us, it's HGTP um, that brings all of the power of what our governance has in place to that end um, application. I, I heard your inner oracle slipping Sorry. out a variety of places there, but 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 no, it, it's it's really relevant, and I think that from a variety of standpoints. Again, I, I come from big data, and I completely understand. I'm a former CIO, and so so what you're what you're talking about, and again, I always like to kind of boil boil down for some of the people that may not understand every single word you just said. Big data is called big data for a reason. You mm -hmm. need to be able to absorb petabytes you know, an hour and be able to filter and sort that through through a variety of metrics. Just being able to write it onto chain, like that's step number one. And if step number one causes your network to crash, you you're 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 SOL. Um and so everything that we just heard what Diggles is talking about, and as well as you know what Ben was was leading into over here, is the fact that that you know, proof of proof of reputation, which that's a new one to me. So thank you. Um, is essentially the way you think today of Azure and and most likely S three. Like if you're if you see an S three IP address, you may not know what the content is, but you know where it's hosted and you understand mm -hmm. kind of everything there. And then from that point, you can start whitelisting those various IPs and those various servers and understand who controls them, and who runs them. So I, I tell me if I'm completely off base here, but what you're basically saying is once you have a known entity, you're still going to be cross-checking them across everything else, but speed and, and, and the absorption of data becomes the priority as people kind of need to get, uh, need to get data on chain and need to get results off chain very quickly in a, in a large scale way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, go ahead, Ben. I, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, a lot of what we're saying can be super computer science lingo. And why does this all matter is that what we're trying to build is something that has feature parity for how you build centralized databases. Um, and mm -hmm. right now, blockchain does not have that ability to uh, measure the veracity of, of data inputs. Um, and so it's like right now developers have to cross their fingers, they deploy onto chain, and they hope it works. And if it doesn't, start from scratch, waste a whole lot of cycles. That's not how real development cycles work. And so what Constellation proposed that, hey, we need to have an architecture that looks just like a centralized database. We need to have 
tools that look like just like a centralized database, but yet isn't decentralization because immutability around that data, understanding that nobody hacked or tampered with that information, which has led us in large to work with the Department of Defense over the past three years uh, of our career. We're doing some fascinating things with the United States Air Force around using our network to identify threat vectors by using decentralized networks, all which comes into measuring the input um, of that data. No, I, I, I love these concepts that you guys have because the reality is like we can always find out if there's a problem. Like if there's an issue with the data that the chain's going to flag it and alert it. But, but you know, if it's a centralized source as, as what everybody sees today, there's really no opportunity for anyone to cross-check this. So the alternative of what you guys are dealing with is it runs through a centralized database. If there is a malicious actor, no one's going to know until it, it most likely is too late. And depending on the level the level of access that person has, you know, there, there's a lot of, of damage that can be done. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a, a grocery store inventory or, or a Department of Defense, you know, uh, you know, uh, chain of custody for, for weapons. Um, you know, the, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just, it's all hashed. It's all there, you know, and, and anyone who has those, those keys to be able to f- track that data should be able to track the, that data. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I, no, I mean, what's, you, you can tell me I'm wrong at any point. It's, it's totally fine and acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's a lot of it. Right. And it's, it's not even just like, Oh, is it right or wrong? It's can we use the same tooling that we're using in, you know, regular computing programming in in regular programming. And right now with blockchain, you can't um, because it can't handle that much data. It can't handle the complexity of programming in the in the traditional Web2 world. So let's give some base numbers just so I can understand your chain. Um, and again, I I purposely never do much research so everyone can can learn with me. Um, do you guys track in TPS? Uh, how do you guys store store uh, files or, or data? How do what does that look like on your guys's network? Tiggles, you want to take this? Or you want me to? Yeah, yeah. So so we absolutely. We absolutely track TPS, but in isolated instances that are specific to the use case versus the overall performance of the network, because we think that's silly, right? Um, We we believe that uh, these networks, including ours, should be infinitely scalable. That's where we should be headed towards. Again, commodity, that this stuff no longer is us messing around with the blockchain scalability, but we're focused on the application layer and the cryptocurrency trading layer. Like To me, that's where the fun and exciting stuff is at. So we're all really working hard behind the scenes. But with our network, we're able to essentially hit infinite transactions because you can just scale resources to be able to to do so. So we're working, for example, with like the Department of Defense, the largest data creator in the world called US Transcom, which when they send data, that stuff is just a it's just a whole lot of it at once, right? It's a fire hose. Um, so because of that, that's why they chose Constellation. And what's beautiful about this is that I believe I know that everything's going towards what is called zero trust networks, where folks don't have to trust each other at the edge. This is where the promise of things like autonomous vehicles will come from, where they can share data privately, securely. They still have that IP validation of notarization of who created the data, and they can make quick decisions without having to send it to a central server by the time it gets back, everybody's in a bad spot, right? And so um, when we're talking about transactions per second, that's not really where we rat hole on the conversation because you just get into a point where all of a sudden you're talking about, you know, co-algebraic theories and whatnot, which we're happy to go into, (laughs) Um, but it should be the focus on like, hey, what do we want to see happen with this stuff? What if you could bring the forth of pre-processing data to feed data that as it's created, it's validated, could go into automated systems like artificial intelligence that to this day, we have never really explored those things because no one trusts each other. You know what I'm saying? So, so you guys, I, clearly, you know, you're, you guys are thinking about data first, and that's that's a big big deal. And again, I'm I'm going to push a little bit towards your Oracle background. I mean, Oracle, I don't even remember the size of it, but I mean, you know, multi billion dollars, you know, just in, just on them. Forget all the 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 width of that ecosystem around there of of everyone that that has to build the servers, you know, scale the servers, implement the servers, you know. So it's a huge ecosystem around big data, and that and Oracle is just one. You know, we can get into IBM and all the the various there's 
so you guys have the ability not just to deal with data, but but also assets. Um, you know, also the storage of assets because that's that's where we are. And we just talked about ownership right before this started. So how does you know? And I'm going to kind of push a little bit towards like talk a little about your wallet. Why you guys are are you know what what kind of built into yours? Because I think that's the biggest problem we face right now in Web three is the wallet problem is 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 terrible. Um, you know what you guys are kind of have on yours for today? Where you're going with the wallet? Um, and how you guys manage the assets and ownership of all this data through that wallet? Yeah, uh, great question. So we have a wallet. Um, it's on mobile and iOS. Uh, well, it's mobile, iOS, Android, uh, Google Chrome extension. Um, right now, it supports Ethereum. It supports our own chain, DAG. Uh, so you can find like our partnership ecosystem tokens uh, on there. But we also provide NFT support as well. Uh, and our plans in the future are just to be more cross-chain compatible uh, and allow people to swap between different chains and ecosystems without any tr- sort of transaction fee. Uh, and that's really our goal is that we believe that there, that there should be no one chain to win them all and that you should have more control over your assets. Uh, right now, the wallet problem is very isolated to various ecosystems, right? MetaMask is very oriented to Ethereum, and then each ecosystem, ecosystem has their own wallet. We're not really better in that sense that we also have our own ecosystem wallet, but our goal is to make it very flexible in where you you trade your assets or distribute your assets. Um, and I think that we pride ourselves on being zero transaction fees. Uh, we don't want people to be like, I can't move them. The gas fee is really high. It's going to cost me $50 just to move my own asset. Like, okay, aren't we taking a step back into the SWIFT model? Come on. Um, like, you know, so we're, we're in this process of kind of decoupling or de-siloing uh, the wallet solution so that people can go between different ecosystems seamlessly. And if they want to change their, take their utility token and be like, man, I really want to participate in the governance of, uh, you know, this application that I can easily move that, participate, earn rewards, have a voice. Uh, so I think we're going to start to see more fluidity across the space. How are you guys managing the, the multi-chain? And, and again, uh, why whales, I think overall, most of us believe in, in chain, you know, being chain agnostic. Uh, there'll be many chains. And, you know, same, same as in Web1, it's like, a- AOL wasn't the one that won them all. Um, AOL was quite simply the, the precursor to the modern Web One, which was you know a, a centralized but but whatever ecosystem. You know, I feel very much like we live in kind of that the prodigy and CompuServe world right now, um, where it's kind of like you you dial in, this is your chain, this is your chain. But um, you know, early on, you couldn't send an email from prodigy to CompuServe, like they just weren't cross compatible like that. And we see that as well right now with with NFTs or, or assets on chain. So how are you guys managing you know bridges or or, or what do you use for kind of a layer zero uh, to be able to manage this, this going back and forth? Yeah, so we we are we are actually layer zero. So Constellation is a layer zero. Uh, we're still in the process okay. of defining the standards by which you can swap between other ecosystems. Uh, but namely, that really comes down to uh, state management. So the state or knowledge management of the data and the input. Right. So we need to kind of understand what input is on one chain versus what input needs to be recorded on our chain and to provide some sort of pool mechanism to swap between each chain. Uh, and that's, that's really our proposal on, on solving, uh, that problem, which, uh, over the next couple of months, we're, we're launching an upgrade to our network that will start to bring out some of these standards that allow us, uh, to connect to other ecosystems in a more fluid management, uh, or fluid way. Uh, but it really comes down to understanding what data is stored on one chain versus another chain and being able to record that on ours as well, right? Why it hasn't been done today is because you can't, like, nobody can support multiple complex data types uh, from one ecosystem to another. Uh, and so you've kind of had these hacks and bridges that have worked intermittently. They're not bad, but there's too many Band-Aids on it right now. Uh, and so our approach is vastly different. I think we have the flexibility since we don't have transaction fees. We have the ability to define uh, that data type on our chain, what is validated by the consensus mechanism. I realize I'm getting into the, the nuances of this, but I think for, for people to take away, uh, we've sat behind on the sidelines looking at some of the issues that some of these ecosystems and native blockchains have had. 
and said, okay, that's not going to work. They already went out that way. Or that's a scam. <laughs> Let's not go that way. Like I, there's way too many things. Uh, we're seeing layer two support at the Ethereum level right now. People are investing heavily in that because it solves a problem. It solves a problem to a problem. So we're stacking problem on problem, but it's still a solution and they're not bad. And so once we start to deploy uh, our layer one applications and, and solutions, you're going to start to see more people go, wow, that's too much of a Band-Aid. No developer is going to stick in Band-Aid on Band-Aid into their, uh, into their, their program. They're going to actually want to come into the source and define that uh, right at the source. Yeah, and and you know, there's a little bit of precursor to this in the modern big data world. Um, I'm using up every terminology I can kind of can at this point, so I'm going to be running out of them here soon. Diggles, if you want to help me out, but <laughs> but this is very similar to kind of an application server and a database server, uh, which is exists you know today in, in almost every modern modern business is that you have you know one one server that's very good at doing one thing and another server that's doing another you know. Thing that it's very good at, and then they just interconnect and, and talk to each other and, and push the data out to the world. And you guys are just doing that from a blockchain perspective. You're making sure that absolutely there's there's a core base foundation of which data can flow, and then applications can can live on top of that and have clear, easy access, so that not every developer has to write from scratch their AI integration, has to write from scratch their their API integrations. Am I am I coming close here? Yeah, um, I, I just wanted to weigh in that like that's one of the big reasons we won the DoD contract was one of the rules is we couldn't make any changes to existing IT infrastructure. Think about that. Two, yep. we had to be an open model that works with other t- uh, networks. So um, we use a microservice framework. Um, we can work with smart contracts, but we chose a microservice framework for this specific reason so that we can make calls, not just to legacy systems, but also other emerging blockchain networks. We fundamentally agree with you that there's not one change rule them all. We think that's a silly idea. We, and I always tell people that while you know blockchain brings cool things like immutable security and lineage of notarization or notarization of lineage, the real holy grail in all of this is interoperability. How quickly can we move things across siloed, you know, systems that currently don't talk to each other? How early do you guys think we are right now? Like in, in comparison to Web One, and I always use these terminologies, and there's no right or wrong answer in this. But you know, in, in terms of Web One, where it's kind of, I, I, I'd say most main adoption started around you know ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, you know, like I, I like to think of us kind of still in that nineteen ninety three, ninety four era yeah. right now. Now the acceleration is obviously. Quite, quite faster. That's not going to be five years to get us there. But I, I still think we're really early in a lot of this. Yeah, I think Mark, uh, Mark Cuban had a tweet like a week ago or something like that um, that said, uh, if you are doubting blockchain, I think you need to remember that in the 90s, millions of dollars were invested into companies that had a file uploader and counted views and impressions. And I, I, it was, he's like, I invested it. And I, you know, it, it was a really good kind of mark of skepticism that yes, we're early. We're kind of at that file upload counter, you know, like impressions. Oh my God, this had 10 impressions and downloads. Um, I, we're seeing it like, a, you know, a $1 trillion to $2 trillion industry, like people are there. There's lots of money. There's more sophisticated financial instruments than when we started. When we started, there weren't even stable coins uh, available. <laughs> like there were no off, like off ramps were impossible. Now I'm, you know, structuring term sheets for advanced financial models around, you know, collateralizing assets on our treasury. Like we're, we're there and it, the development is catching up. Uh, I think over the past couple of years, it's been very isolated to specific use cases that are rather simple. I think smart contracts are rather simple and are going to be outdated in the next couple of years. Uh, and we're going to see more developers embrace the immutability features of blockchain technology. So in many ways, we're there. And the marketability of this uh, is already there. We have to think of this as like not uh, is every business running on blockchain, but are people seeing a voice through it? Like there's marketing that comes in to go, hey, people are coming over here. They're interested in it. They're curious about the vision and future of that. 
uh, and the developments following. And we're advancing the use cases, advancing the applications. To Diggles's point, when we started working with the DOD, I remember a call uh, that we had with the DOD and they said, yeah, we spent two years investigating, researching Ethereum and Hyperledger, and it wasn't interesting. Supply chain management tracking is not interesting. And I was like, I've been saying that for two years. Like there's, it's like tracking an asset as it goes from A to B and having it a, a mutable audit trail of that. I was like, uh, really? Are we really dumping our time into that? But then when we switched the conversation around data assurance, they went, why didn't you just say you're all about data assurance? Now that's interesting. Okay, green light. You, you guys are really hitting on a lot of what Y Whale's overall thesis is. It's that the 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 space is matured enough for for the real businesses to show up, um, and the people that have business experiences. We now we now believe blockchain is a, is a real thing. Um, not that we didn't believe it before, but it was still like it was still very early and very nascent. And and we're seeing a lot of like we take three steps forward. And then here comes Terra uh, and, and uh, an algorithm stable coins. And then we take two steps back. Um, yeah. And so, so it's a lot of progress we have to make, but we also have to really understand we're not on sure footing in any way, shape or form. Um, and I'm sure you guys are constantly looking at what's happening overall in other blockchains. And even though yours is designed a little bit differently, we really need to all understand the stuff together. Um, you know, loss of data is, is a huge concern for any IT professional. And the old saying, you know, no one ever got fired for buying IBM exists mm-hmm. for a reason. Um, and so you guys are really coming about it from that that perspective, which is like there's a few reasons of which you're going to want to use Constellation. Um, we're going to expand on those reasons, but it's going to start with a very core foundation of, of we will protect your data and we will give you access to your data how you need it. Um, what what you know when you guys see kind of things like like algorithmic stable coins and you've been around for a while and you have you know you see kind of like these these faltered steps on you know people dumping you know hundreds of, you know, millions and, and creating a multi-billion dollar evaluation of, of Doge, you know, what kind of goes through your guys' heads, you know, when, when you're looking at, at the misinformation um, that's being pushed out into, into the overall ecosystems? Yeah, Diggles, I'll jump in and I'd love to hear thoughts because I, I just, I get off of calls on this question all the time. And um, a large, and I want to frame something like why, people on this call or listening to this podcast have not heard of us is because we've made strategic decisions to not chase the carrot when it seemed appropriate, when it was like everybody was chasing it, right? Meaning a lot of the DeFi applications that came out, we didn't see a soul to it. Yeah, they offered rewards. They were doing algorithmic trading or a stable coin, but there were so many gaps and vulnerabilities that if we took that investment to go down that path, from a regulatory perspective, but also from a programmatic sense, we just weren't, we wanted to sit on the sidelines and be, we don't need to be the first one. We can be the second. And when we see the gaps that exist and they get uh, identified, we see this like complete crash and cratering. So we've made clear design decisions on our network and our business choices to make sure we don't just follow the carrot and jump into that. We truly want to be something that's scalable. So with the algorithmic side of things, um, I think in the future there will be uh, algorithmic stable coins, but there's too many uh, vulnerabilities that exist in it. And the way we think about treasury management and what's backing that token also has to be rethought. These aren't just simple solutions today, but they're not available today. And I think we have to tread lightly on that space. Tether, USDC are leading the charge from a regulatory standpoint. Um, I trust those, right? The algorithmic side, it's interesting, just not there. It's interesting to hear someone say they trust Tether. (laughs) Yeah, I, look, I, I say that there's a uh, there's an asterisk that said I trust it okay. in the sense that they're driving regulatory conversations. If you were to name two stable coins driving those conversations that are in That's the crosshairs, it's it's those guys. Yeah, I mean, there's it's clearly. You know, there, there's a lot that needs to be done, and and I hate the the thought of of regulation of of uh, you know any politician coming in and telling us how to do business, but but stable coins and bridges are are kind of the two aspects that I think that 
the overall Web3 ecosystem needs to come together and say, these are the standards of which that we will all operate on. And, and you can go above that. You can go, you know, across, you know, sideways on that. But, but these are the base standards of which we will endorse as an overall ecosystem. And I think that that kind yeah. of failures, um, which is what you just said, is, is something we can solve internally today. Um, and reject the, the the kind of BS that we see, the hype around the industry. Diggles? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I think my big thing is that I believe everything should be celebrated, right? You know, even the Luna stuff, um, you know, all of a sudden everybody is becoming like, economically savvy, you know, and, and, and typically we've been asleep when it comes to finance and what's going on with the economy, uh, especially the global economy. And, you know, a lot of people will see this stuff and see, I told you it was manipulated. This was all a manipulated thing. This is all a scam. But I remind them back in the day that if you typed in the word snowboard into a browser, you would end up on pornography because the stuff wasn't there yet to guide us to the right landing spot right it was early but this also shows that hey guess what gamestop amc these things started to highlight due to this industry that hey if we come together peer-to-peer we highlight that these markets are manipulated these things are a scam which really empowers the individual so while things keep breaking and it gets a little bit bloody and i know that we're seeing a lot of that right now it's forcing a shift in mindset that i think is for the betterment of all of us yeah, I mean, you have to stress test any system. I mean, irregardless, and and hopefully they they get stress tested and they break long before they hit forty billion dollars. Um, but but it happens and it's there, and maybe that is you know a lot better for it to happen today at forty billion than four hundred billion or wherever wherever some of these things are going to go. Um, you know, we saw a cryptocurrency overall market hit three trillion dollars, and it's it's retreaded back down to about you know one point two, one point three, wherever it is today. <laughs> Changes by the hour. Um, you know, but but being able to kind of push those those philosophies out and and have kind of a, a core thesis that's accepted and adopted by Web three really isn't there yet. Um, let's let's pivot over real quick because I want to talk to you guys about your tokenomics. I think to me that's one of the most important parts of any Web three project. Is um, you know I left you know traditional stock market because the rules changed every single day. Like you could do all the research you wanted, you pick your stock, you say this is what I'm doing, and then they do a split you know, the next day they do a, you know, retread or whatever the case is. How, define kind of the, the DAG token, you know, what the tokenomics are and, and how it's, you, you visualize it being used in the future. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of share. So when we launched DAG uh, in uh, 2018, uh, then we launched our main network in, uh, what was it, 2020, uh, the focus of DAG was to be used to purchase throughput on the network. So accessing the network by holding DAG uh, would create bandwidth or space to access the network. Uh, and thus the intention was vastly different than anything that had been imagined. It would, uh, the requirement was to take all these node operators. So a node is somebody that is a part of the network. They validate uh, a transaction on the network. And uh, they earn DAG as a reward for securing the network. So back to the reputation model, right? I'm a node operator. I'm participating in consensus. Consensus validates a transaction. I get a reward for my participation. If I don't have uptime or I'm in the wrong geolocation or I perform poorly in the, bad, in the last uh, session, my reputation go da- goes down. My rewards go down. Right. So our focus was then once you have this ecosystem that has zero transaction fees, we're organizing based on reputation that DAG would then be used uh, for accessing it. I have um, a digital advertising exchange and I want to put ads on it. I have to create a pool of DAG to access bandwidth of the network. Uh, that doesn't mean it costs me a fee. It means that I have to rally the nodes to support my use case. So we're truly, so the tokenomics was really something around what we call generative tokenomics. Um, the businesses or application layers had to incentivize themselves, layer one, had to inter- incentivize layer zero to back or participate in providing bandwidth because it's a viable use case on the network. So very different uh, use of tokenomics that's shifted the onus on the application layer to define their business logic and how to attract node operators to support that use case. 
Which is the way most businesses or most marketers should be. You know, you right. want to invite right. users in, enjoy your experience, and you know, we'll give you the value adds to cover the costs of, of the game. Exactly. And then you can, so you define, uh, so if you look at traditional tokenomics from like an Ethereum standpoint, uh, you look at, well, we have a gas fee. It's like a toll bridge, right? And the my example is like, well, a toll bridge is great. You know that you're going to get revenue, but... Uh, but people don't know if they want to go to the city or not. We're still too early in developing the city. Constellation says, let's not have a toll bridge today. Let's, let's build the city and have a hamburger stand, a, you know, a gap and all these stores and it, put the onus on the stores to attract people into the city. Then we can define if we want to add a transaction fee at that network. But let's let the governance decide that, not the protocol. Uh, and this will allow the flexibility for businesses to build on top of us in a way that we haven't seen. Right now with Ethereum, it's very transactional. If I pay this gas fee, I can use this network. The node operators are incentivized. But with our model, it will truly bring governance around to how do they want to see the protocol fit? Hey, we're an emerging city. We're really good. We've got all these businesses. Uh, we need to put a transaction fee at the at the base layer, layer zero level. We'll let governance decide that. Yep. I love that. So, listen, you guys, there, there's so much you've built. You know, we've we've got our layer zero uh, of the constellation network. You're you're still forming the the layer one, and there's a lot going on. But but for a developer that's in the space, and to be clear, there, it's one of the the f- most finite resources in Web three right now, which is developers. Um, second only to lawyers that have any clue about what in the world's happening in the space, and it's clear that none of them uh, are in Washington D.C. making policy. So so we don't know where they are at. But but for a developer looking for where do I want to spend my time? Where do I want to make a dap? How do you how do you get them to think about Constellation being being worth their time to to come and, and check out and, and learn? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I've always been against is if you build it, they will come. Uh, and what I mean by that is while we've done a great job building some amazing tools, it's not it doesn't mean that just all of a sudden people are going to show up to start building. There's a lot of education required to be able to teach them what this actually means. Um, that said, with a lot of the stripes we've earned throughout the last five years, um, it, it's been really abundant in us of being able to attract some of the most quality types of projects in Web3. And the way we did this is we decided to build our own accelerator. And we know that this is not unique. A lot of folks do these types of activities. But ours is rather different in the sense that we cast a really wide net um, over a gamut of companies that may not even have a name or developers or individuals may not even have a company name, all the way to companies that are already profitable in Web2 in the existing landscape looking to add token uh, tokenize their business or bring blockchain into their business workflow. Um, and so last year we conducted this program where we attracted 35 companies this year. We just concluded it last week was 40 companies. We're going to be doing it again here soon. So outside of that, in the incubation, we've had almost a hundred companies, uh, sign advisor agreements and go through our program so that they understand how to, um, build a blockchain roadmap, how to build an effective token economics business and a go-to-market fundraising community strategy, Um, And our play on this is that we don't charge any of these companies, but rather we take a percentage of their token allocation, which has, to date, we're very proud to say that we've built over $100 million in treasury from this. And that's really what we focus on is how do we build treasury? Because we have an open source blockchain that is free and it's decentralized. We're not a SaaS offering. We can't charge a license-based, you know, SLA business, right? And so, therefore, we're more incentivized to teach people to build on top of us and get co-invested and really close with their companies to, to really ensure success throughout their token life cycle and, and beyond. I love that. I, I mean, it's absolutely fabulous to, to have the support from the, from the core dev team for anyone that wants to build you know, on your network. So I, I absolutely applaud you guys for, for having that program available. Ben, what, what's something cool you, you've seen in around the Web3 space that, that you just, again, I, we've talked about Constellation. We know everyone should go take a look at it, uh, you know, grab a couple coins here and there. But what's, what's something that's caught your attention in the last couple of weeks? Um, and buy a, a door traffic miner. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> my, my, my plug. Uh, no, um, I actually, it's, it's amazing. We have some interesting partnerships coming around the door traffic miner. Uh, but we're starting to see real utility. 
which the door traffic miner is one of those real utilities. People are like, well, what's real utility on here besides uh, a DeFi rewards platform? And I say uh, Helium Network is doing some amazing things, right? They're creating an alternative network through hotspots. Uh, and the network is is an alternative to cellular network. So anybody that's using cellular network to pass data over, uh, they can now use the Helium network, which automatically rewards people um, for, for supplying that bandwidth, very similar to Constellation. Door Traffic Miner uses the Helium network as well. Uh, so when when people collect data, it goes over the Helium network, and then they receive both Helium reward and, and Door Traffic uh, uh, I'm sorry, DAG as a reward. And then we broker that data behind the scenes because people really want that data. So these are really massive use cases. But one of the interesting things that I'm starting to see and experiment with is this convergence with crypto and NFTs. Um, I think a lot of people have heard of NFTs. We haven't even talked about it on this this call. And I think there's been some interesting things around the non-fungibility of, of one token and um, making, making crypto fun with artwork that can be traded and access. Uh, and so what I kind of think of crypto is like crypto is very, as much as it wants to be open, it's very uh, exclusive, and it's very based on access. Oh, did I get into this pre-seed? Do I understand this product, uh, this company's esoteric white paper? And um, did I get access to that? Right. It's all about access. And where I'm seeing a convergence between crypto and NFTs is using NFTs as real utility, where it emits tokens as like a token emission, um, giving the pro- project the chance to build liquidity build real utility with that token uh, and expand on different use cases around their token. So I'm starting to see these models become more popular in our fold. Oh, no, and I love that. I I completely believe that all, you know, NFTs should have some level of utility. Um, We we just have a a small question of if you just turn that NFT into a security by having it give rewards. But that's okay. We'll we'll let those lawyers, those non-existent lawyers figure that out. And by the way, if you have any uh, inroads into the Helium network and and I can buy, you know, five to 20 pallets of their miners, we'd, we'd love to make that happen as well. So very popular network. Diggles, what you got? Yeah, I mean, my answer is going to be um, a, a little bit less anecdotal. I'm a little bit more esoteric in nature. Um, I'm really excited about the vision of this and the shift in mindset and humanity, right? And um, if you look at blockchain, I often describe it as fractionalized compute and crypto as fractionalized finance. And when you fractionalize things, it opens up a porous world of new use cases that we currently don't even think about since we've been so indoctrinated into the large swim lanes that we've been using for so long. So I often feel like I see this mirage that I'm having to come back to people and be like, no, I don't think you understand. There's all this really amazing stuff over here. There's there's crops that you haven't even seen before that are doing things that are impossible, right? because we don't think this way. But often I say when a a validation of an experience that's so fractionalized, sometimes if you fractionalize it too much, in order for a computer to validate it, it costs more than the experience is worth, right? But if we're able to spread that out to the fractionalization to the nth degree, the amount of use cases and interoperability of of experiences that can happen peer-to-peer as well as within large institutions is so mind-boggling vast. This is where I get excited and I'm constantly trying to get people really, really away from the Ponzi screams, the scams, even just the money piece of it and really about the ability to unlock this whole new world. So I really am trying to be a hype man for a lot of this stuff while also remaining rather grounded in reality because the DOD doesn't like the hype man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so there's that. But that's what I'm mostly excited about. With the DOD loves the hype man as long as the hype man's them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, I love that. Thank you guys so much. Uh, so just real quick, for anyone that's interested in, in kind of learning more about you guys, where, where's the best way to, to kind of follow or learn more? Do you guys have a, a Constellation uh, Discord or what, what's the best uh, source of data to get to you guys? I would say go to our website, start with uh, constellationnetwork.io. Uh, our Telegram community, we're, as you can see, kind of the first onset of governance. Our Discord community uh, is also very strong and, and kind of in the governance side as well. 
uh, we always chime into our Telegram community. Kind of, uh, we've got Twitter Spaces going on. I think even tonight we have a Twitter Spaces with uh, GeoJam, one of the projects building on us, and Mariah Carey, who's one of their investors. Uh, pretty awesome. She did an NFT solution through one of our partners, or that's building on top of us. Um, yeah, really cool stuff. I, I would say start there. Uh, listen, uh, Ben, Ben, and Benjamin. Um, I, I, I got to tell you guys, thank you so much for coming by. This was absolutely fabulous. I, I know our members will get an immense amount of value just learning about not just constellation, but the way you guys think uh, about the overall Web three ecosystem and trying to solve again real world business problems that exist today. Not you know futuristic. We we want to you know make something happen. It's like what are the issues that can be solved today, um, and and how can we make those you know economically cheaper on blockchain. Versus what we see a lot of, which is like, it's like, congratulations, you're on chain and you've increased your fees by a thousand percent. We solved no problems, uh, but it was cool, right? And, you know, right. now good luck finding the seed key for the wallet that you lost. Yeah. Um, guys, I, I really appreciate it. Don't go anywhere. And for Y Whales, uh, this is Constellation Network. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, Jay. Y Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. Y Whales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.